Great teachers don't just come from the classroom. They can be found almost anywhere in your life. That's why we, Wade and Hope King, created this podcast to connect you with the stories, the tools, and the joy you need to take education to the next level. Nowadays, everyone's an educator. Whether you chose that career or not. And we're all in this together. So come on, let's do this. It's time to get your teach on. Welcome back to another episode of the Get Your Teach On podcast. Today, I am solo once again. So if you listened to last week's episode, at that time, if you don't know, we are parents of a toddler and he was having an epic meltdown. But this week, we sent him back to daycare, guys. He goes back to daycare for the first week in probably not eight or nine weeks. I don't even know because we've been traveling and on the road in summer and y'all know the drill. But if you have a child that has been in daycare or is in daycare, you already know what I'm about to say because we send him back to daycare and wouldn't you know it, last night, what are we doing? Running a fever. That is right, folks. We are running a fever. So now we have a sick toddler on our hands and he is home today. So Wade is once again, I just always am the lucky one that gets to come do the podcast while Wade deals with all of the the toddler antics and, I don't know, crises, if you will. But I just was actually having a conversation with our guest, and I'm like, I am so glad that we planned for you to be around for these past couple of episodes because you've just become my co-host for the Get Your Teach On podcast. So once again, everybody, for the third time, the third time's a charm. (laughs) Welcome back, Daniel Patterson, to the Get Your Teach On podcast, everyone. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I I feel that toddler... struggle in my bones having a three-year-old it is it's it hits different it's it it does hit different I'm like you know what all I keep saying is this kid's immune system better be like legit by the time he gets to kindergarten like I don't want I want perfect attendance you hear me what I'm saying I want perfect attendance no sickness no we all know we all know how that goes being teachers and what that looks like and you just take it one day at a time but here we are so Daniel just in case they're just tuning in for their very first Get Your Teach On podcast, which if that is you, welcome, my friends. Or perhaps they are coming back. We took a little break there, and we're back in our second season, and they haven't heard our first two episodes. Um, go ahead and just introduce everybody. Give them a little background about yourself. Hey, hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, Daniel Patterson. I live in Southern California. Father of three, husband. I run a therapeutic high school in Los Angeles and have taught high school for 10 years and was a a public high school assistant principal. And my passions are uh, mental health, wellness, and uh, awareness surrounding substance abuse. Which is perfect. And that's kind of why we, when we were chatting with Daniel, we planned out this whole month of September to be focused specifically on mental health awareness and talk and conversation about what this looks like in the classroom. But like I said, I didn't realize I was getting a new co-host for the podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy it. to be here. I'm yeah, loving it. Daniel and I, we have the past two episodes, well, Wade actually did join us for the first one, um, but we have talked a lot about just teacher wellness, overall teacher wellness, wellness in the field of education, how we've got to prioritize our ourselves as educators. I've had a lot of great conversations about what that looks like in general, how we create a space for that. And last week, talking specifically about boundaries and how we put things into place to really allow us 
to function at our capacity versus someone else creating a narrative of what we should be functioning at. So again, if you have not listened to those previous episodes, do yourself a favor and make sure you hit those up and check those out. But today we want to talk about something that has become quite trendy. You know, we obviously have been sitting in the middle of a pandemic for quite some time now. I don't even try to calculate the months or years, Daniel, anymore because yeah, yeah, <laughs> there, there's no time anymore. It just we we just are. We ex- bingo. We just are. But obviously, we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic, and you know, during this time, um, and, and it's not just in the field of education. It's truly in every facet of our life because, you know, we're all feeling a lot of big emotions. I mean, we've always felt a lot of big emotions in certain times and situations and scenarios, but I feel like these big emotions are coming quite frequently um, in this time because, you know, you set yourself up for something and you feel like you're going to be able to do something and then that doesn't happen or it falls through because of pandemic or a lot of us have suffered loss and we have suffered trauma and we have suffered a lot of things during this time. And, And the mantra has become, you know, especially... I hear it with teachers a lot, is give yourself grace, extend grace, right? And the the thing that we want to talk about today on the podcast is, is this just becoming a trendy phrase, a trendy word, a word as a noun, or are we actually doing this as a verb? Are we actually truly extending that grace versus just anytime a difficult situation comes up or anytime we're struggling with a thought, it's all give yourself grace, right? But Mm -hmm. a lot of times I don't think that we're following through with actions that actually allow us to do that. Yeah. it's And and I think inherently that's part of human nature. It's something that we all want for ourselves, but withhold from others. And part of that's natural, you know, survival, right? And just trying to focus on your own wellness, which is what you should be doing. But in, in this season, grace, grace is like shrapnel. Like we have so many people who need it and it's unpredictable how and in what form. And there's no way to quantify it, measure it, standardize it, which is very much against the, the institutional structure of education, which is a lot of lockstep giddy That's up right. for a good yeah. reason, like bell schedules and curriculum and the whole thing. But this is a season where we need, it's like the matrix. We got to, we got to figure out how to get in there and apply grace with nuance and individuate it to not only ourselves and our circumstances, but to our coworkers, our spouses, our friends, and most importantly, our students. Yeah. You know, I mean, the thing about it too, with grace and, you know, you often hear people like, over seasons of your life, right? Those friends who aren't, you know, many times we have friends that are in our lives for a specific season, right? A specific purpose. And then, you know, they may transition out and we may not talk to them as frequently or have as as close of a connection. But, you know, sometimes you have those relationships that may stick and people may know you through many seasons of your life. And so it's always interesting to me when people will say things or you hear conversations about the fact that you've changed, right? You've all of a sudden changed. And I'm like, a lot of times we talk about that in such a negative connotation, but a lot of times in life, it's not even so much that we have changed. It's that we've changed in the way that we are addressing certain situations that we are living through. And I think that that is, you know, a big part of us looking at what does grace look like in the classroom from a personal level, extending it to ourselves extending it to our students, extending it to our parents, extending it to our colleagues, extending it to our administration. What does that actually look like? Because things are changing. People are changing. Situations 
are changing, you know? And that is the thing about grace is it can't be just conditional to a person as you know them in one situation of life. Because again, like we talked about with the pandemic, we have all suffered loss or tragedy or trauma, or we've had changes in our life. And of course, that's also going to change the way that we react to situations. And so a lot of times I think that grace becomes conditional to extending it to a certain person when they're acting a way in which we want them to. Right. Or in which we've known them. Or in which I we've also known them. think that grace is often handcuffed by conditions of understanding. You don't have to understand someone's struggle to acknowledge it or give grace in it. And so there's this paradox between situations that you might have experienced growing up and therefore you're more empathetic. You know, having been bullied, for example, through high school, you know, I was hypersensitive as a teacher and administrator to that mm-hmm. because I had a shared experience. Mm-hmm. But there were other conditions, you know, like extreme poverty or homelessness, for example, that I didn't experience. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean and I don't and I don't understand the day in and day out. I mean, I can read data and I can I can conceptually understand it, right? But I haven't lived it. And right. I feel the mistake that I've found myself making when withholding grace is pairing it to whether or not I understand it or have lived it mm-hmm. to apply it. And and that is really a call to action that I want to make is remove that that layer, that filter when you're deciding or choosing or applying grace. This is huge. This is huge on so many levels. And I feel like I could talk about this for probably hours, but I could give a lot of different stories. But specifically, I remember when um, I had Maverick and I became a first time mom. And we all, if you're a parent, just take yourself back to that moment when you are literally bringing a child home from the hospital. And it's like, they just hand it to you. Like, you know what to do with it. And it's like, Wait, I thought that I thought that human nature was supposed to kick in. Where is my natural ability to understand what to do and why this kid is crying? But also, I have been open with sharing and um, definitely and certainly don't mind talking about the fact that I also um, struggle with postpartum depression. However, did not realize it in the moment. It took me probably a year after Maverick was even alive for me to even recognize, whoa, hold up. I there is something that's not okay about me. I'm not okay and there's something that I need to do to work on that. But here's the thing. And you know, I know if this is happening on social media, I know it happens in real life too. And so I I just if you have been there or if you have struggled with depression of any kind or you know those feelings of loneliness. And so, you know, obviously I have a platform on social media and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to get on social media and I'm going to talk about how freaking difficult it is to be a mom, that this kid will not stop crying no matter what I did. Like he, he ended up having colic and and y'all know the situations of so many newborns, right? And so I get on Instagram and I basically just do these, this set of stories where I'm like, I just want to let you new mamas know that babies cry. Like this is awful. I'm struggling. I'm exhausted. I don't know what to do as a mom. And I cannot even tell you, there were a lot of supportive people. I'm going to say, obviously, But I can't even tell you how many people messaged me back on social media and basically within a nutshell said, how dare you? How dare you complain in your situation? Don't you know how incredibly blessed you are? Right. And I was like, what? Like, so then I felt awful. It started making me think, no, no, you shouldn't be extending grace to yourself. No, this shouldn't be a difficult situation. No, this shouldn't be, you shouldn't be feeling these emotions. And I think a lot of times that's what happens with grace is if we have exactly what you're saying. You don't have to have lived it 
to to show empathy for that situation. And it just blew my mind thinking about, I'm sure this is happening in classrooms. I'm sure this is happening with teachers and situations just because someone hasn't lived it. They feel as though someone can't feel that way about it. Yeah, they don't. That misunderstanding and that lens and also that with vulnerability comes shame, trepidation. I know, you know, recently on, on, I, I, I mean, this is silly, but I had, I posted a TikTok about sober Sundays or sober Saturdays. I do this sober Saturday series about all the things that I do. They're like little dances and I'm like laundry, Netflix, nap, you know, just like taking my life back. And people don't understand the juxtaposition between what my weekends used to look like Mm -hmm. and what they look like now. And those are little things and people are like, that is so boring. And why would you ever think that we care about that? And I'm like, look, I'm, this is not a sales pitch. This is a celebration because part of recovery is celebrating small wins and doing laundry and being productive and creative and present for my kids on a weekend for me is everything. Right. And, and there's so much of that polarization. And I do think it comes from social media and the media media and just human nature. So when we're thinking about grace, I would rather extend grace and be wrong. Oh, that's good. Then not extend that's grace good. and be regretful and even more wrong. That's good. First of all, if y'all hear banging in the background, um, we have some construction happening in our house. We just moved. And, you know, speak, speaking of grace, I got to extend a little grace to our moving company, I guess, because I feel like they took our house, took the roof off, shook it in the new home, and they left us with that. So that's been really exciting. So if you hear banging, just know it's just construction going on in the background. But man, that is good, Daniel. That is so powerful. And I think if we can lead with that mindset into our daily life, into our daily our daily life in the classroom is lead with, I would rather extend grace and be wrong than be regretful that I did not. And, you know, I think that that is just a mindset that we have to have. It's it goes back to mindfulness, right? And so many of these these past two episodes, you and I have chatted a lot about mindfulness. And it's a matter of not always reacting in the moment, but saying, hold on, let me stop, take a step back, remove myself from the emotions of it, and then think about how I should proceed. And I think when we do that, we can truly recognize, you know, as an educator, as a human being, that let me try to see, you hit the nail on the head when you said from a different lens. And I think that is so hard in our work as educators because we're having to look through, I don't even want to calculate the amount of lenses that we're having to look through, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it is so complex. And that is where the rigidity of school policies or classroom policies are a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because I get it, I had them right? I had them as an educator because for let's, let's call it 80% of the kids, you, you, you need some sort of expectation. And like we said, set boundaries early and communicate them clearly. These are my policies and late work policies. But what I hear too much of, and I lovingly push back on is, you know, well, if I do that for one person, I have to do it for everyone. And that's a good problem to have in my opinion. Because if was, you are I was anxious giving, to see how you were going yeah, to respond to that. If you're, giving, if you're giving grace to that 20% and you, and you don't apply it to the 80, that's okay because you need to apply it where it's, where it's real, right? But at the same time, someone could be fooling you. I mean, kids are, you know, specifically teenagers. I mean, they are and can be manipulative. It's, right. part, of, it's part of the experience. That's right. So again, 
they could fool you, but what if they're not, you know, what if they really do? And there's so many secrets in the work that I do, you know, working at a therapeutic high school and and my job as as an administrator at a large public high school, there are so many things that happen behind the, inside the home Mm -hmm. that people, that students, it, it, it never sees the light of day. Yeah. Right. And they can dress well, they can be articulate, polite, and they could still be suffering to just like very intense degrees. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I mean, when you think about what you were just talking about with, you know, well, by extending grace, a lot of times that leads people to taking advantage of you. Well, this is why boundaries are such an important piece of the equation. And you can't just have one, you can't just have this idea of grace without having your boundaries, right? But when it comes to adults, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? It is my job to extend the grace. If they are the ones taking advantage of the situation, that is on them, right? That Mm -hmm. is on them. But when it comes to students specifically, I think that as teachers, obviously, you know, knowing our students' background. This is why connections are such a critical part of how we proceed. Now, like you talk about, Daniel, there's a lot of kids that that wear this certain look, this certain act that they play, and you would think that everything's great in their life, right? right? And it might not be. So we have to be careful about that as well. But, you know, Wade has been so open with sharing his story and how he grew up. And he's talked about it on the podcast before. And obviously, it's in our book, The Wild Card, about the fact that you know, he was taken out of the home early because of child abuse. And then he lived with his his aunt and uncle and had a normal childhood up until about the fifth grade. And then he ended up, you know, they got a divorce and he ended up moving with his uncle who basically left him all the time. And, you know, Wade as an eighth grader is bussing tables, working under, you know, the, for money under the table just to be able to live, his powers being shut off, you know, all these different things. And if you're familiar with Wade, you know his story. But I think about students like that. And, you know, Wade walked into the classroom every single day and I was never around, obviously. I did not know Wade at this time, but I know Wade well enough to know that I guarantee he was one of the most well-behaved kids in that classroom. And, and you know, he shares that, and he shared that he didn't always, you know, obviously he didn't make the grades, and obviously he didn't always have his homework done, but he was respectful. And that is just who Wade is as a person. What if those teachers, when I didn't have homework, because he didn't, he rarely had his homework done, just constantly came after him. Why don't you have your homework done? Why don't you have your homework done? And the amount of trauma that that could have inflicted upon him versus if, you know, the way they did it, approaching it with grace and understanding, that's the kind of situations that I think about as an educator to me that have the bigger impacts than allowing someone to take advantage of me. I would rather extend that grace, like you said, and be wrong about it than extending it for those kids who have stories, who have things that we don't even know that's happening, occurring, going on, that just need that, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it. You always, I mean, I, I always try to remind myself, and I'm not perfect at this, but focus on the why behind the what. Yeah. We always focus on the what, Yeah. the, the product. Yep. Did you get your homework done? How did you do in your exam? Why were you late for school? Why did you miss school? Why aren't you in your uniform? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are great check marks to, you know, from a superficial level, analyze their achievement and their potential. But again, you're focusing on metrics when you don't understand the geography behind it. And conversely, I think what's also important is I worked um, my first two years working as an educator was in North Las Vegas, high poverty. And I was this, grew up in Marin County, went to college in Oregon, had no experience with multicultural schools, you know. So going into that school, just assuming that, oh, well, you know, poverty equates to bad parenting or unhealthy homes, right? And so 
there's a there's the other side of that too, where our own misconceptions, our own our own biases play out. Where yeah, you have to 100%. be really careful. You you can't you can't expect that you know affluence and and privilege necessarily equates to to wellness within the home. Nor can you say that you know living at a certain level would produce an unhealthy home. Yeah. So it it can be really confusing as an educator. How do you tie that all together? Right. And so what are some things that you have put into place when it comes to these type of situations that there is a lot? We are navigating a lot of individual stories. We are navigating a lot of different personalities, different backgrounds, different situations, different scenarios. How do we make sense of all of that and truly take all of that, make sense of it to allow us to be in a capacity or a place where we can extend that grace? Well, I think in schools, in the classroom, it's building trust. And mm-hmm. and because you very well could be the only adult that they can trust. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And trust is not, you know, built in a day. It's It's these micro moments, these small acts of consistent kindness, your own vulnerability, transparency, check-ins, for example, that build trust. And then the door will slowly creak open to where they know that they can trust you, right? That you are open to, if they communicate with you, you're willing to validate their needs, right? Because if if they're open with you and you shut them down, that door is closed and locked into permanently. Yeah. Yeah, forever. So just being just being mindful of that, but here's another point with trust, and this is going to hit different because I work with kids even in in sort of my private practice where they trust you and they will tell you things that, you know, maybe they're suicidal or they're using drugs or they're in a very unhealthy abusive relationship. And I have to show that what a real trusting adult looks like by quote unquote telling on them, getting them help. Because part of trust is accountability. Trust is not just enabling people. So there's this also this, this dance that you dance with trust where sometimes you do have to take information that you collect mm-hmm. and mindfully, intentionally, and really methodically decide what to do with that information. And, you know, I mean, that that does become very tricky and can be very scary, too, as an educator. And, you know, but I think that all of this boils down to, you know, something that a lot of times in education we don't always do because it takes time. And we all know in the work that we do, there's very little time. But it boils down to trust, grace. All of this comes by first starting with listening, by being a listener rather than an an action-driven person, by being a listener rather than a reactor. Because, you know, you think about parent conferences, right? And, and And building trust with those parents. I mean, listen, you and those parents do not have to see eye to eye. But one thing that I have learned since being a mom that has completely shifted since I became a parent was that every parent, first of all, loves their kid, right? Loves their children. And they are sending you the best that they've got. They are sending you the best thing that they have. First, starting off, when it comes to building these connections with parents is truly listening. I think a lot of times when you think about our our interactions with parents, it's parent-teacher conferences, right? That's a lot of times the first time that we even interact with those parents. And it is impossible to extend grace without listening, right? But many times what happens in those meetings, we sit down, we open up a folder, and we immediately start speaking. Instead of looking at parents and asking them, what do you need? 
how can I help you? What can I do for you to help, you know, your child in this classroom? And I think it's just about listening to those parents, receiving. I think that's another big part of grace is, is receiving their narrative, receiving their story and using that as a piece as we move forward with how we are going to respond to certain situations. 100%. And validation is not necessarily agreement. It's just articulating right. that you hear their perspective. It's, right. it's noted. Um, it's something that is their lived experience, their truth. And you're not going to change that. You have to learn to work with it. One of the chapters in, in my book, Recover EDU, that I, that I outlined for educators is, you know, in your syllabus, you have a lot of policies, but where are you memorializing, hey, if you're struggling with this, how do you, you know, what do you do? If you're, if you want wow. to have a private conversation with me about a mental health or home condition, like this is the way to do it. You can confidentially email me or message me. And this is what you can expect that I will do for you. So you don't just say it, you put it in writing and, and that sets a tone. Wow. This teacher is, is being bold enough, brave enough, or you know, assertive enough to actually put it in, in ink. That right there. That is something that I have never even thought about till this moment when you just said that. And wow. I mean, first of all, you think about, you know, a syllabus when you're giving kids a syllabus or you're giving them, you know, even your welcome packet, right? As an elementary teacher, we know we don't necessarily call it a syllabus, a welcome packet. To me, now that you say that, that is basically me handing parents, here are my priorities for the year. Correct. Here is here is what I'm going to focus on for the year, and man, I don't think that I've ever seen a you know a, a, a classroom welcome packet or a syllabus or, or something of that nature that outlines those specific things that you're speaking about. How yeah, do I best help children meet their mental health needs? Their, you know, how, how am I focusing on all of the assets, all of the seeing the child as a whole child, a human versus a student? Exactly, and if you if you want to get a little more extra, you can, you can attach, <laughs> you know, you can attach some resources. So one of the experiences that I've uh, walked through with parents is that fear of judgment. And, yeah, and, and part of the reason that they fear that judgment is that they have to kind of individuate their needs and bring them to you and knowing that they're unique. Mm -hmm. But what if you were addressing food insecurity resources, mental health resources, abuse hotlines, et cetera, et cetera, and you gave it to every single parent, every single student, because as part of the human experience and what you're, what you're telling them is that I, I understand that these things are happening and I am, I've done my homework, I've done my research, and I'm prepared to walk with you through that. Mm -hmm. That builds trust. Oftentimes in the things that we say, yes, but more often than not, it's in the things that we don't say. And parents are able to read between those. And, and I know that this is an educational system and this is how it's always been. And these are things that we, but now is the time to start changing that narrative. If we're not starting to implement, and those small changes yield such huge impacts when you are talking about that connection. You know, Wade and I are obviously big advocates for student engagement. That's what we have built our, our entire platform on. But I will say that our thinking, our philosophies have evolved and changed so much since becoming parents specifically. And, you know, people always tell you, when you become a parent, you're going to change. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, what? It, it tr truly, like truly just really seeing things from a, a more holistic perspective and, and understanding that, you know, engagement, I always say that when we're doing workshops with teachers and educators, that when we people bring us out to talk about engagement, they think about the fun, exciting, happy, joyful stuff. 
people don't want to talk about the fact that social emotional learning, mental health is probably one of the biggest factors in whether or not a student is going to be engaged. We can do these elaborate lessons, all this fun stuff. And yeah, they might be a little bit more excited, but whether or not they're engaged boils back down to their capacity and our connection with that. And so, you know, the more that we have that connection, the more that we are aware, the more that we can extend that grace, which then changes the trajectory of our lesson. It changes the path that we are going to take. It changes that instructional model or that method or the expectation that we set. And that is why social emotional learning is so important. You know, we have these um, student check-ins, right? Right. And they've become this, now this beautifully decorated, listen, I am not shaming or hating on decor because I love when things look pretty, okay? I love it, but it can look pretty and it can be effective at the same time, right? And so that's where I kind of live, right? So all these people who are like, all these teachers that have pretty room, I'm like, listen, I love a good pretty room, okay? But I'm going to make sure it has a purpose too. But we've seen with the mantra of, you know, just extend grace and, and self-care and, and and making sure that you're taking care of it. And social emotional learning has even become a trendy buzz thing, a buzzword. You see all over Pinterest, all of these, these beautiful check-ins for kids, emotions every single day, label your emotion, list your emotion, post your emotion. What are we doing with that? Because that is our foundation for then extending the grace that students are asking for, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But if as a teacher, we're not even using those things, it's just something set up in our classroom to say that we're checking a box, but we're not using it. I think that that is one of the best ways if you're like, okay, I want to hold myself accountable for extending grace, right? And not just talking about it as a noun, but actually using it as a verb. Those student check-ins, how are we then using those to extend the grace that students are asking for based on the emotions that they're feeling? Yeah, the, the check-ins are, are the foundation. They build the bridge to meaningful relationships. Right. And I, I am a, I'm a huge fan of teaching students to name their emotions, but I like a little twist on it where teachers have, you know, I'm going to go classic here. You have a behavior chart. You have the student's name. You give them these check marks or demerits or whatever you're going to, you know, just trying to track it, right? But what if the same emoji set that you gave them to fill out daily, you also gave your own observation and you kept your own data? Because then you can compare your data to their data. It's important for people to understand how you how they're being seen as well as That's how right. they're being filled. There could be incongruence there. And also, when, when it, it reaches a critical mass where an intervention or a meeting needs to take place, you don't just have academic data. You have emotional data. You could say in 75% of the days in the last you know two weeks, mm-hmm. this is how your student has rated themselves, but this is what I've noticed. Yeah. So how can I serve you? How can I help you? What resources do you need? How can we make this work here? And that directly goes back to you want to build trust with students and parents. This, this is, like you said, the bridge that totally connects everything. And I want to take it a step further. You know, when it comes to... Am I, if you're sitting there and you're listening to this episode and you're like, oh my gosh, am I? Because, you know, people like us, perfectionists, people who put a lot of pressure, this this episode is not to put more pressure on you because we're probably sitting here thinking like, wait, wait, wait a second. Do I extend enough grace? Am I doing this well enough? Do I, that is not what this is about. It's just about a mindfulness thing. But, you know, one of the most powerful things, and I, I'm pretty sure that I've talked about it on this podcast. I know I talk about it when we work in the work that we do with teachers, but like you're saying with tracking those emotions tracking your interactions with students, right? Tracking the way that you're responding to behaviors or, you know, tracking tracking your interactions and whether they're positive or whether they're negative. Just a simple checklist, a simple check sheet is something that can give you such a good visual to see. 
am I just saying, let's extend grace for this year? Because obviously this year being another year of unknown, you know, another year of uncertainty, am I actually extending that grace or am I just saying that this is something we should do? Right. And so I think anytime we can give ourselves a visual and really track things and have that data and have that accountability piece is huge. And and the final thing that I want to talk about, because I know we could go on forever. Again, I feel like all of our episodes <laughs> could go on forever. We've talked a lot about parents. We've talked a lot about students. And and by the way, tracking interactions, it doesn't have to end with students. You can also, if you're noticing that you're struggling with your relationships with your colleagues, track your interactions with them, right? Track the way that we're responding to 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 one another because sometimes our situations might be playing a role in the way that we're responding to our colleagues. And that could be building a barrier, building, you know, a wall between us. But the final thing is with ourselves. And I think that we oftentimes are a little bit better at extending grace to one another than we are to ourselves. But I think the better that we become at extending grace to ourselves, the better we become then to extending it to others. That's just what I have noticed in my own personal life. And so for teachers, you know, Corey Markison has, you know, she's true tells of a teacher on social media, or she's been on the podcast a, a time or two, I can't remember. But her story has resonated with so many people just in the real raw vulnerable feelings that she's feeling throughout teaching during a pandemic and the fact that she's not able to be the teacher that she once was. And that's very frustrating for her. And it's caused a lot of, um, you know, struggle with with mental health and with emotions that she's feeling. And one thing that she, one thing that she said to me that was so powerful was she said, you know, one of the things that I started doing when I was feeling big emotions in the classroom, because she said I was feeling a lot of big emotions, is I started writing down the the things that I was feeling and, and kind of why. Like almost not really journaling because, you know, obviously we don't have, but just sketching things down. And she said the reason I did that is because what I found myself doing when I wasn't writing it down is that after I would feel these big emotions, you know, you get a, you remove yourself from the situation. It's a couple hours past or even the day, a couple days past. And you look back and you say, wow, I overreacted. Or I was feeling too, I was feeling too big of emotions over something so petty. But here's what we start doing to ourselves when we say those types of things is we invalidate the feelings that we were feeling in that very moment. And so I thought that was so incredibly powerful for, powerful for her to say, I write down those big emotions and what I'm feeling so that later on I can look back and say to myself, whoa. I really was feeling that, and that is okay, and that is completely valid. And what an amazing practice for starting to set yourself up for truly extending grace by saying, you know what, I'm going to create a space of acceptance. I'm going to accept any and all emotions. I'm not going to try to classify them. This is something, too, that I learned in therapy as well, but I'm not going to try to classify them as good or bad. I'm just going to classify them as emotions, and this is what I'm feeling, and I'm going to accept those feelings as they are. Absolutely. And and you are not your thoughts. That. You're not your thoughts. Your thoughts come and go. And I, I have to visualize noticing the thought, inviting it to sit next to me and then letting it go and, mm-hmm. and wishing it well. And, and I'm always, you know, I talk about this with my therapist and my therapist is always encouraging me. You need to talk to yourself like you talk to other people. You need to encourage oh, yeah. yourself like you encourage other people. And what you focus on, you get more of. Yeah. So if you attach all of your, you know, agency to the negative emotions you're experiencing, Without recognizing, you know, the positive emotions you're feeling. And, yep. and that's easier said than done because a lot of people are experiencing significant amount of trauma and pain right now. But what I think the pandemic has done for the general population, it's exposed them to the type of life that so many people live regardless that's of a right. pandemic. You know, it's, a, it's an eye-opener. And we have this opportunity to capture that understanding 
and apply our own pain, flip it around and turn it into purpose. Wow. And when you're not processing your own emotions or respecting them or even giving yourself permission to understand your thoughts aren't you, you internalize everything and then it becomes a lot of projection. You can find yourself kind of taking it out on directly, aggressively or passive aggressively to almost anyone in your life and the most vulnerable people in that potential group of people of projection targets are kids. Yeah, man, that is good stuff. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things when extending grace to ourselves is like you just said, our our feelings are not facts, but that doesn't mean that we don't feel them. That doesn't mean that we don't feel those things in that moment, in that season, and, and, and that should be validated. So man, so many good takeaways from today. And you know, if, if nothing else, it's just, again, that mindfulness component, just being mindful of situations, realizing the importance of, of those connections and how that plays a role, again, in the outcome of our day. And are we using this knowledge to really structure and to make changes and to modify. You know, we always talk about modification and education. And are we doing that with students and, and their social emotional well-being? And are we doing that with our own mental health? And are we making these modifications for the number one factor that then, you know, opens up our capacity to be able to learn those academics? And I think that's such a huge part. And a big piece of that is that grace every single day. So just challenging you to think about you know, is grace something that you just kind of throw out there as a term or as, you know, like a little band-aid to a situation? Or is it something that you are actually practicing? Or is there action behind the phrase? And I think that that's what's important for us to consider. So, um, Daniel, thank you again for such an amazing conversation. You're going to be back with me for one more episode, rounding out the month of September next week. But again, if you have not checked out our conversations with Daniel in the past two episodes, make sure you check those out. They The conversations have just resonated with so many educators at this time. But, you know, I think it's a conversation that's going to extend well beyond, like you said, a pandemic, because what this time has taught us is to have empathy for so many different situations and scenarios that have never been our own before. Um, So really opening our eyes, which I think can be a beautiful thing and a beautiful outcome. So Daniel, thank you once again for an incredible conversation. You guys, we hope that you have an incredible week. Have grace at the forefront of your mind for your kids, for your parents, for your colleagues, for your admin, for your spouses when you go home, for your own children, but but also make sure that you are extending that to yourself as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody, to get your teach on. We will see you next week for another new episode. Have a beautiful week, everybody. Bye. The Get Your Teach On podcast is hosted by me, Wade King. And me, Hope King. The show is produced by Sterling Coates. And edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Chase Mayo. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. The Get Your Teach On podcast is a 3% chance production.